Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Prompt Night, brought to you once again by the Basic Pitches. I'm Dan and with me is... Reese. We will each be pitching three ideas for articles inspired by our lives and the news, of which the other will pick which prompt to follow. But first we're reading the articles from last episode. I'm going to go first, reading Dan's article. Uh, here goes. Partial Recall. Passing the Childhood Memory Baton. What's your earliest memory? I have a particularly vivid snapshot from when we moved house when I was four, sitting down on the delightfully brown carpet of the living room with boxes all around us and watching Knight Rider with my family on our small colour television. That was 34 years ago. Crikey. I also have a vague recollection of an incident when I was about two. For some incomprehensible reason, I gleefully emptied all of my clothes from the lower drawers of my bedroom onto the floor. Ah, what a rush! Only for my mother to walk in and tell me she wasn't going to put them back, and I quickly realised I had to tidy it all. Cue the tears. Only, is that a genuine memory? Or is it a fabrication my brain has constructed from being told about it enough times by my parents? It's entirely likely this is an implanted or fictional memory. In 2018, a research paper entitled Fictional First Memories was published by the journal Psychological Science, with over 6,600 participants. The study by the University of Bradford found that when people were asked of their earliest childhood recollections, almost 40% of them were dated at an age of two or younger. However, it is well established from many other studies that the actual mean age of encoding earliest memories is found to be from the first half of three years. In fact, the overall results of the particular study came to an age of 3.2. Prior to this age, we are at the pre-verbal stage and haven't yet gained the cognitive ability to form memories. So this meant that there was a high probability the fragments of initial human experience 40% of this group could recall were in fact not their own memories. This inability to remember events or moments before such an early age is referred to as childhood amnesia. In an earlier comparative study in 2000, cross-cultural and gender differences in childhood amnesia, the women participating demonstrated they retained earlier memories than men, and their recollections contained a greater level of detail and information than their male counterparts. Generally, however, Asian adults reported significantly later memories than Europeans, whilst Maori adults, whose culture is richly steeped in history and tradition, were found to relay much earlier memories than adults from the other two cultural groups. These findings support the view that the age and content of our earliest memories are influenced by a wide range of factors, including our culture and our gender. Fast forward to 2020, and I'm vicariously living the earliest stages of a child's development through my three-month-old daughter. It's utterly fascinating, and gives me a newfound appreciation of all the firsts a baby experiences. Not just the usual grab, laugh, crawl, walk, all the little things in between. The other week, whilst resting on my shoulder, her fingers scratched against the fabric of the hoodie I was wearing. She was immediately entranced by this texture and the noise it made, sending the next few minutes rubbing her hand back and forth in wonderment. A few days later, she held a small toy rattle for the first time and began to realise it could make a sound by shaking it. Any time we sit with her in front of a mirror is a joy to watch as she either attempts to outstare herself, puzzled by the second baby before her, or squeals with excitement, smiling excitedly at herself. I'm really rather jealous that such a simple thing can keep her entertained and satisfied for a good amount of time. Is this what it was like for me as a baby? And all these little firsts? And yet, while her earliest moments of life will be real, pivotal moments for us, but fictional memories for her, crafted from our fond recollections or photograph and video time capsules, 
Does that make them any lesser? I don't think so. In fact, perhaps these implanted memories hold a much greater value. As with them, they reveal events and experiences as a person couldn't recall on their own. It all feels like a bit of a paradox, like when Marty had to go back to the past to save his parents so he would still exist in the present, or something like that. It's up to us to hold on to and cherish these wonderful early memories of our children, so we may then pass them on to become memories of their own as they grow older. And who knows, perhaps they get to do the same with their kids too. The circle continues. Well done, Dan. Thank I was you. impressed by that. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I guess I'm sort of slightly, uh, you know, obviously writing from uh, something that I'm literally experiencing at the moment. I'm not sure if that's cheating as a prompt, but uh, I had fun writing it. Yeah, it was really interesting. Like, the, uh, you're combining this scientific literature that you're reading with the anecdotal experience of just being there. It is kind it is kind of strange, I have to say, seeing all these things and thinking to myself, I don't have a point of reference of any of this from when I was that young. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. it's, only, it's literally only the things that my parents have told me. And I hmm. guess that's how it happens, how it gets passed down until you get to that age where you can form your own memories. And it's funny to think that's happening billions of times across the world. Just every child goes through that. Yeah. And every parent goes through it as well. I did find it quite interesting that there are cultural and gender differences. And mm. it just shows, I mean, I, I would appreciate that different people would remember things from the different ages, but actually seeing patterns emerge, I thought was very, uh, very fascinating. Yeah. So um, I will now read Reese's. Uh, next essay entitled My Pandemic Legacy What will be your pandemic legacy? Apparently you need one Why? Don't ask, you just do Maybe it's your low-key motivation to cook, garden or post every day on the gram Maybe you've got the self-control to work on a novel instead of binging Netflix again. Maybe you're the type who won't need to bleach their internet history. For me, I'm surprised at how much time I've spent talking to friends. In the first week of lockdown, we found Tabletop Simulator. It's exactly what it sounds like, a video game for simulating a tabletop. I never imagined playing board games remotely, nor that we'd order a virtual pizza and still argue over the toppings. And one title has stuck out as a recurring favourite, Pandemic Legacy. Picture this, four diseases threaten to overwhelm the planet. You are a crucial member of an international jet-setting team of specialists and your mission is to save the world. But thematically, it's about doing your best when plans go wrong. The original Pandemic board game had a great premise. It looked like Risk, but instead of fighting your friends, you're working together against the game, and it doesn't take all day. The legacy part of the name refers to the game changing every time you play, and this adds a whole new addictive dimension. In the box, 
well, for season one anyway. By the way, this game has seasons. You play through the first year after the outbreak of a new disease. There are ongoing consequences for success and failure. And that means drama that grows over the course of the box set. You can even find a legacy version of Risk, if that's your kind of thing. However, Pandemic Legacy loves to throw you curveballs. The goalposts move every time, often even in the middle of play. Because of this, the difficulty fluctuates wildly, so you need to abandon any concept of fairness. And that's become my favourite thing about it. We've got an ongoing win rate of about 50%. I hear that's about average. The game changes to make sure the session after a win is harder and after a loss is easier. Even the winnable games are sometimes a desperate scramble to catch up with the spread of infections. So you come to accept that no matter how hard you try, it can still come down to luck of the draw. I'm not going to lie, Pandemic Legacy has become so cathartic. Before lockdown, I was pretty anxious about the impending pandemic. I'd been following the news since February and bought a mask sometime in March. I'd set up a WhatsApp group to share memes with friends called Covid and Chill. And that group went on to become a team of moderately successful, albeit fictional, international doctors. But this remote gaming group hasn't just reminded me what it's like to spend time with these people, it's given me another chance to really appreciate the magic of talking to people I've known forever. In the same way as phone calls remind you how much you rely on non-verbal cues, chats with your oldest friends are peppered with in-jokes informed by a shared back catalogue of memories. And that kind of thing matters, especially when you're finding someone to take the blame for another inevitable loss. I can't remember the last time I met my friends to play a game in person. Life gets in the way, like wedding planning, moving away, or just losing the teenage zest for going places, and brings with it ever longer gaps between hangouts. I like to think it's because we knew each other well enough to not feel like we had to meet every week. It's fitting that as lockdown eaters up, we're coming to the end of Pandemic Legacy Season 1. I don't know if the gaming group will still be weekly once the old routine set in, but if there's another lockdown, I'm sure we'll dive into Season 2. We might not all come out of this pandemic with legacies, but we will have stories. Maybe you focused on looking after you, or maybe you spent this time looking after others. Whether you couldn't wait for lockdown to end, or made the most of every minute, I hope you've had someone to share it with. That's lovely. That's really nice. And I can see how this this tabletop game has really given you something to uh, bring together yourself and some friends. That's really nice, Reese. Cheers. I mean, it, there's an irony that strikes me uh, that last week when I said that I liked your pitch, I said there's a risk of it getting too schmaltzy. And then I've done exactly that with my essay, with my little article. Well, no, it's good. It, it's sort of... It's uh, bringing some some emotion to it, you know. It's uh, letting people know how you've coped, but also showing how others can cope as well. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much mileage in hope, isn't there, really? 
the world is a cynical place and there's no market for nice writing. Well, the good thing is there's a season two. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, cool. So well, yeah, that's, that's the writing out of the way. Let's no, get down to some pictures. That's, that's great. No, so those are our two uh, new articles. Uh, once again, we'll be soon posting those on the Medium publication for anyone else to read at their leisure. Uh, how, uh, how should you say, would you like to read out your prompts for this week first? My first one is, do you remember when I, I wrote that Hackers article all those weeks ago? Oh, Way so back when. Vaguely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, vague recollection. Yeah, well, so a few of my friends have said they really liked it, uh, but one person hasn't. Can you guess who? Oh, God. Derek. Uh... Bloody Derek. Did, did, so did, he, he, did he throw some shade? He, he did throw shade, actually. So he said he feels misrepresented and wants a chance to reply in kind. Um, so as I understand it, it's going to be a piece about the virtues of the film Rat Race. And why my taste in films is dumb, because I overthink everything. Wait, so it, does that mean that he's writing the article for you, if you pick that? Yeah, or if which, I, pick that? I mean, I would have a problem with, but also not so much. <laughs> you, you, I'm not saying I'm tired of this already. You have a ghostwriter by episode three. That's, I'm not sure how to think about that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's a, a positive spin on it. Yeah. Okay. With that uh, successful. Fine. So basically, it's, it's a rebuttal. It's his attempt yeah. to um, uh, paint himself as the innocent party and reclaim some kind of dignity. Well, yeah. Like, well, it's more to explain how people on the internet overthink things too much and that films that are meant to just be dumb and enjoyable, uh, they're ruined by people like me going overboard with them. Right. Although I guess this also means that we have a listener. Because he's obviously heard your your piece. <laughs> Proof so, that we have one listener. Exactly. Um, I will sleep easy this evening. <laughs> and I will get in touch with sponsors. Okay. So uh, that's number one, I take it? That's number one, yeah. Okay. What do you think about that? Have you seen Rat Race? Do you know, I don't know if I have, but I feel <gasps> that I need to immediately find out what it is. What is Rat Race? So it's, uh, it's like an ensemble film about um, a group of people in Las Vegas. They get taken up to like the high roller suite where I think John Cleese um, says to them all, look, there's a suitcase full of money in New Mexico. Whoever gets down there first gets to keep it. And so the rest of the film is just about like Cuba Gooding Jr. and Rowan Atkinson and a whole bunch of other familiar names uh, all racing across the United States to get to this suitcase full of money. And Sorry. it ends with a live performance of All Star by Smash. Sounds a little bit kind of like a Cannonball Run. Cannonball Run? I've uh, not seen that one. Um, it's kind of like, like a, again, like a, 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 a wacky races kind of thing, you know. Okay, sort of, yeah, yeah. Very sort of loud and large characters, you know, lively. Definitely. Yeah, that's Lots exactly of uh, hijinks involved. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I, I would be very interested to see how it holds up against hackers. <laughs> you know, if you locked yeah. if you locked rat racing hackers in a room together, who would who would come out on top? Basically, I mean, knowing Derek, even if you don't pick that one, he'll write it anyway. So don't feel too bad. Okay. Uh, um, what's what's the, the second one? Um, 
So I, I've got um, an Android phone, and part of that is getting occasional news recommendations, news and blog recommendations from Google, uh, which I, I happen to quite like. It's nice to know what an algorithm makes of you. I think of it like looking at my reflection in a mirror made of hyperlinks. You know, and it informs me of like the perimeter of my bubble, just the kind of online bubble that I live in. And it points out the boundaries so that, you know, I can kind of go beyond that in future. So anyway, like, the, the point like of this... an information safety net. Kind of, yeah. Like when someone points out to you, I don't know, like you've got like a blind spot that you always make a certain kind of joke or you've got a weird laugh. And if someone points it out to you, then then suddenly you can see it. It becomes visible to you, right? Like if it was in a blind spot before. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so like the main point of this is that I noticed that so many of my choices are based actually on the image attached to the article. Like if I get a notification that's just the headline, I'll ignore it. But then if I see that same article later on with a cool image, I'll click on that. So I wanted to write a piece exploring my relationship to various images online. Not in a scientific way, but maybe it's just like a story of what it's like to float through that visual culture. Okay, that's, that, that's actually quite interesting because if you recall, in the last episode, one of your topics obviously was talking about or briefly mentioned um, the dating app Tinder. Yeah. And... Uh, some of the statistics obviously were people were more unlikely to uh, engage or swipe with a profile that had a picture. And yes, I think we, yeah. we sort of tipped on the fact that as, as human beings, we are very visual people and do respond to imagery. It's almost like I, I took that idea and I saw that there was some mileage in it and I reskinned it for this episode. I mean, I, 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 I completely missed that. Uh, you, 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 you've really, you've, you've hoodwinked me. You've absolutely hoodwinked me. I've I shouldn't have said it. anything. Oh, I've been watching a lot of catfish recently. It's a lot of fun. Okay. But, you know, it's, it's part of that. It's that same thing. Like, we do depend on the image and what things look like to inform how we feel about them. Yeah. And, like, I'm used to being told that mass media floods us with images and that, like, as people, our identities are shaped as a struggle to kind of stay afloat in that seed not to be swapped by it but particularly with the internet don't we have the power to unplug whenever we feel like it because like i know that for example facebook is designed to get me hooked on little dopamine rushes whenever i get a notification or when i click through on something but presumably that means that there is something of me there is something of valuable value to me there even if that's just on a biological level that i can't fully comprehend and i think that'd be really interesting uh, there's also the sort of much darker side of things where there are some uh, there's semi-proven evidence that um, a lot of the things that we see on social media, such as Facebook, for instance, are engineered to steer us into certain ways of thinking. Um, mm. Obviously, again, bringing up things like Cambridge Analytica. Uh, in fact, I think there's a, a, a Netflix documentary on at the moment that sort of explores this, um, how social engineering and um, marketing has been used to influence uh, voting and, you know, political uh, views uh, and, and things like that. It's, uh, yeah, it, you really have to sort of look hard at what you're being shown and and, and how often you're being shown certain things. Right, it's, and what am I seeing that other people aren't seeing? 
Oh, certainly. It's, like it's... if I'm being targeted, then presumably some algorithm has picked me out and assumes that there are certain things I will react to. And what does that say about me? You know, what's the mirror? What am I seeing in the mirror there? Sure. It's like you buy one thing on Amazon and suddenly your recommendations are skewed towards <laughs> that one item. It's the yeah, same as yeah. if you view something on YouTube and then suddenly your YouTube recommendations are completely skewed. And it's they, they say it's machine learning, but I, I'm, I'm not always entirely sure how honest that is. You know, is it, yeah. is it, is it learning or is it um, persuading? I don't know if you've read or heard of the books. Ways of Seeing by John Berger, or On Photography by um, Susan Sontag. I, I've not, but I'm intrigued. Uh, oh, well, they're they're famous like books about images, and you can look them up, or like you can watch um, John Berger's series online. But I thought I'd like kind of play on those titles for the title of this article, and either call it Ways of Being Seen or From Photography. I like I like that. That sounds good. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And your third topic. My third one is a bit of a departure from our usual uh, format of articles. So I've been reading a lot of John Crace recently, who you might know as the political sketch writer for The Guardian. Um, he did a lot of columns during Theresa May's time uh, when she was PM, comparing her to a robot struggling with sentience. You know how she was always really socially <laughs> awkward and repeating herself like there's some kind of internal error. She has to reboot. I'm already on board. Five minutes, yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, it's funny. It's just called iMaybot, like iRobot. Um, he's doing something similar now with Boris. And I was thinking of maybe doing the same, like a kind of, I guess, para-fictional, like based on fact, but making up this uh, extra element to it. Because rather than using a character of Boris, I'd be writing like a diary of a week inside number 10 from the perspective of his moral accountant. I love this idea that, because, you know, Boris is famously tricky with words. Like he, he, like with um, Brexit, he had two articles. One was very much for Brexit, one was completely against Brexit. And he picked one over the other kind of arbitrarily, it seemed. And it's funny that he's presented as being really Machiavellian and really career-driven and not really giving a, a care about what policies he actually backs as long as he gets to be PM, which has worked out for him, presumably. And I like the idea that he has somebody who, like, morally has to balance the books for him. So somebody who has to, like, <laughs> take uh, his words and his actions and the kind of seeming ambiguity behind it all and then try to make a moral case for why he's actually a decent PM and a moral bloke. This reminds me of those um, online skits of the guy in the other room who I'm sure you've seen them. He's sort of feeding the uh, person being interviewed. He's feeding them lines. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's hysterical. Um, my 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 favourite so far has been the one where Boris was talking about uh, having a hobby about making buses and painting <laughs> them from wine boxes. Yeah. And this guy in the other room pulling his hair out in frustration. Um, no, right, because uh, the joke there is that Boris doesn't make sense in a conventional political sort of way. Like, the, the whole guy within the other room is like this extra imaginary figure that you need kind of screaming at Boris, telling him to get back on board with the script. Because Boris, just like, as an image on a screen, doesn't fully make sense to us. 
And so I think that the moral accountants is a similar thing. It's like a counterweight, a fictional counterweight to make sense of this man. It's kind of like um, a puppeteer, but someone's come along <laughs> and cut all the strings. And the puppeteer's pretending that he's still controlling the marionette. Or he's just screaming at the marionette, and the marionette's just flailing <laughs> like something possessed out of control. Yeah. Cool. Um, I, I think out of those, uh, I, I think your third topic is my favourite. <laughs> okay. Um, um, interesting. So, yeah, so I actually, my th- cool. your, your third topic is certainly my favourite. I think it has, it has legs or strings, shall we say. I, I think that has strings. Cool. Uh, thanks, Reese. There's just some uh, a nice, diverse uh, range of topics. Cool. Well, and next week I will see what I can do to get the photography and the image-based stuff back in in another format. <laughs> Every time they're reskin it again and again. <laughs> so, okay, fine. Right. Eventually, you have to pick it. I see. I see. The other two will be so either offensive or remotely insane that I have no other choice. Is that it? Oh, no. I will come up with the best possible pictures I can. And this will just keep going for months. And eventually, maybe we'll have like a Christmas special and I'll finally get to write it. I'm cool with that. We we will see. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, That's that's great. Um, Would you like to hear (laughs) my uh, potential prompts? What? No. Yeah, of course I would. (laughs) Go ahead. Okay. Uh, right, first up, um, this is, is but be, you have to sort of uh, bear with me here. Um, so I have a um, Nintendo Switch Lite. Um, I bought one sort of towards the end of last year, um, partly uh, because being um, a new dad, I knew that uh, game time would be absolute minimum. So something on the go for the commute... Obviously, this was back before lockdown was a thing, and commutes, back when commutes existed, com- commutes were still real. Um, <laughs> uh, but recently, um, there's a a new game, a new title that's come out called Super Mash. Now, Super Mash uh, builds itself as a game that makes games. Um, Whoa. Yeah, there, there's there's a sentence. The idea is that you mash together two genres of game to get a completely unique new game each time. Oh, that's cool. So what happens is um, there's there's some overarching story, but the base mechanics of Super Mash is that you can take, for instance, a RPG and a strategy or stealth or platformer, mash them together... And it will randomly generate or procedurally generate a game that intends to borrow elements from both genres. And then you play that game. Now, obviously, this works better with some uh, genres than others. And what's quite fascinating is that uh, in some of the footage that I have seen, a number of the games end up not really working, but it does it in I, quite I humorous ways. So, um, you know, uh, but, but also what can be quite uh, an intriguing uh, part to this is they also have what they call glitches. So, for instance, a game can be generated and then that game comes with a randomized type of glitch. One of them I remember was um, Gain Health 
when turning left, for instance. Um, but sorry, uh, gain help when turning left. Yes, gain gain what does that mean? gain health. Oh, health. Yes, sorry, gain okay. health. <laughs> so you would tap left, and your health would come back up. Um, so is but, that the Zoolander of games then? Oh, because he's not able to turn the other way. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, only turn left. He's not a Lambie Turner. Yes, the ma- the magnum of games. <laughs> um, so the reason I'm mentioning this is um, I kind of was quite like um, intrigued by, you know, this, this premise of mashing two established genres together that normally you would never see sharing mm. the same kind of premise um, and what the outcome would be. And I was thinking what would happen if you applied that to literature? Okay. So, for instance, you know, um, action thriller with period drama or, um, you know... Um, uh, well, then you get Sherlock Holmes, the uh, the Hollywood remake of Sherlock Holmes. Well, but no, I'm thinking of... Or, or even things like, say, a fairy tale with, um, you know, a uh, Tom Clancy novel. Right or things like that. <laughs> you know, yes. I I quite yeah. like the idea of things like you know something sprang to my mind would be um, the hunt for Red Riding Hood, um, which I you know so it's it's I I'm quite keen to explore you know if if say I had the ability to mash varying genres of literature together and see mm-hmm. what the outcome would be how that would work, um, you know. And I know people have done this with things like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, but I think mm. you can go a lot further than that. And, you know, what works, what doesn't. Um, so, yeah, no, I just like the idea of, you know, literally smashing um, obscure or, or what should be a, a, a obscure, um, non-correlating types of, of, say, stories together to create a new, uh, a new piece. Okay, sounds so that, interesting. Yeah, so that that's my first prompt. That's my first topic. Just um, out of curiosity, you said that some of the mashups didn't work very well. Yes, so... Which uh, ones didn't work? Well, for instance, I think it was... Uh, normally, it tends to be anything with JRPG and, say, shoot-em-ups, for instance. Because uh-huh. what would happen would be um, you'd have an overworld... And yeah. your characters would have a randomised battle. Sure. And that randomised battle might be against um, a mage, a wizard, and an Apache helicopter. And but then, they'd be turn-based combat rather than... Yeah, kind so, of real so time. then like, Apache helicopter uses missile. So it was a bit odd. But then also some, yeah. of, the, some of the glitches didn't really work. So one of them might was something like enemies respawn when pressing forward or something. And it would, it, it would, you'd end up in these scenarios where you literally could not complete the level. So that it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was actually broken. Yeah. And I think it's... No, I know with, with new games, obviously, there are patches and hotfixes. Part of me thinks they might leave some of this in there as a sort of novelty aspect. Because perhaps there's something charming about not every mashup working. Or maybe that's laziness. I don't know, but I kind of like. It'd be the... quite interesting for your idea for the article then. Like, what genre mashups wouldn't work in literary fiction, where just like the conventions are so antithetical to each other that it would just break the story. 
Sure, exactly. Okay. So that's that's kind of where I was coming from with a, a first prompt, basically. Yeah, nice. Um, it's gonna be tough to match that one. My next prompt, it's it's kind of um, it's still within the realms of, of, of video gaming. Um, again, I'm, again, I, I I go back and mention that I have this Switch Lite. Um, I found it. Um, I think it might actually be right my favorite co- my favorite console. That I've owned. Um, really, you wouldn't you wouldn't think it. You never talk about it. And <laughs> you know that angry. He never he never shuts up about his Switch Lite. Uh, Talks about it more than his daughter. And I was also thinking, whoa, that's offensive. And I was also thinking <laughs> um, about you know um, how my experience of, of of video games and computing has changed over the years. Mm-hmm. So one article that I'm sort of potentially would love to write about is like a a personal retrospective of gaming so for instance my first i guess my first real sort of experience with computing was the old bbc micro acorn computers the giant floppy disks i'm not sure if you ever had those it's any words none of that connects with me no by the time i went to school we had cds i think wow okay so this is where i'm (laughs) really showing my age Oh wait, no, um, no, sorry. We just didn't have computers until CDs came along. Um, so we had these these, these yeah. old BBC micros with giant floppy disks, uh, playing games like Granny's Garden and Dread Dragon's Room. That uh, was supposed to be pseudo educational. Um, yeah. And then I think my the the earliest uh, home computer that my family ever got was a Commodore VIC twenty, which had a tape deck. So, Whoa. I mean, yeah, so literally having to, you know, pop a tape in and type, you know, run commands and things like that. Um, and then moving on to things like the Sega Master System, um, mm-hmm. N64. And oh, then, yeah, now you're and, talking my language. Yeah, and then, and then through to, like, the, the first Xbox, the sort of giant sort of concrete block of a, of a console. Um, and yeah. the the uh, controller uh, fondly called the Duke, but was an absolute ass to hold with two hands. Um, it was enormous. So, yeah. but along the way, there's been so many leaps in technology. Um, you know, you're going from things like say eight bit to sixteen bit to sixty four bit graphics to polygons to cell shading to full 3D realized models and mm-hmm. then you have things like the Unreal Engine later on down the line. So um, yeah, I, I my, my second would be a sort of personal retrospective of gaming, how my experiences with it have sort of uh, formed my love for um, playing computer games, but also just noting the big key leaps in technology, form factor, all these things. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that'd be a really nice trip down memory lane. And again, you know, like I said, I've, I've, I've just recalled things that people have no, uh, no experience of, you know, uh, to, a, to a certain younger audience. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, that would be my second prompt. Cool. Okay. Interesting. And what's your third? My third? Well, uh, are you aware that Vice magazine also have an astrology guide. Uh, uh. <laughs> basically, um, I thought I'd check out my horoscope 
um, as an Aquarius. Um, you know, here was me thinking that Vice wasn't a serious journalist to get. Uh, I mean, sort you know, of information uh, that that yeah, it's been turned on its head. So, uh, what do they say? What's your star sign first? Well, of all? My, my my star sign is Aquarius. Um, I'm I'm the clumsy one who spills the uh, jug full of water. For some reason, the symbol is always a jug of water that's sort of overflowing or being spilled. Um, like uh, the jester of yeah, Star Yeah, exactly. The sort of slightly wayward, clumsy... Um, <laughs> it's like they know me. It's... Yeah. yeah. Um, the reason I, I, I mention um, astrology is... Um, does anyone really care about them anymore? Star signs, astrology. You know, your, what, what is your, uh, my, my, you know, uh, my horoscope? Is do, do people really follow them anymore? I mean, I remember, you know, going back, they would print them in the back of the newspapers, and you'd have, you know, Russell Grant on daytime TV, um, and that's going back a long time now, um, giving people, you know, their their weekly or monthly horoscopes. Is that a thing? Do people still go for it? I mean, you know, when I follow uh, an Instagram account that makes really um, cynical horoscopes. Sure, I mean that, that's obviously sort of tongue in cheek. But I guess what I'm getting <laughs> at is a, 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 a sort of what are we now millennial Gen Gen Z level. Do you really think mm -hmm. people pay attention to them? Is there still a place? Yeah. A place for some horoscopes? people really do. I know, I know one person that is really into tarot and horoscopes and all that stuff. So and uh, uh, it brings them joy. So, so would you like a daily, weekly, or monthly horoscope for Aquarius? Oh, for you? Yes. Um, <laughs> the shortest. I don't is, understand. I'll be honest. The, well, listen, yeah, I, I, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know yeah. that there was so many varieties of horoscope. No, yeah, I didn't realize people had that much time to waste. But I guess if you're getting paid for it, you could waste all day writing them. So. So, what's, what's your daily? Okay. What's your daily horoscope? So the daily one is short and sweet. Today, yeah. the moon is in fellow air sign Libra, bringing you news from abroad. Easy energy flows today, and it's a lovely time to connect with a crush and make art. It's a fun day for friendly competition too. Now, I swear they've just described this podcast. Am I your crush? Uh, <laughs> potentially. <what> <laughs> potentially, and okay. dare I say, this could be construed as art. But that's, oh, that's just and perhaps, such a non-thing, because that doesn't uh, mean anything. It's a poem, it's not advice. And perhaps the uh, writing of two different articles in a form of one-upmanship could be seen as friendly competition. Yeah, but so Do could you see how vague... Uh, anything. This is how they work. They are the most vague, empty, lifeless strands of words that are put together. You to know, I could forgive it if they were written by leprechauns. Or by, you know, uh, fairies in some D&D &D campaign. Ah, today you will see your true love and the art will be made by competition. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? So it continues. The moon in Libra makes harmonious connections with the sun at 5.28am. The preciseness of this shit is amazing. And Venus retrograde 
What is retrograde? Venus oh, I can answer that one. Retrograde, retrograde is like it's like power raid, but in the olden days. Oh, of course. Retrograde. Of yeah. course, of course. Vintage. For your electrolytes. Yeah, vintage electrolytes. Got you. Uh, at 11.20am, inspiring a fun, generous, affectionate, and creative atmosphere. We're focusing on what feels good. Show your loved ones how much you appreciate them. That's that's it. That That's... That's my daily horoscope. So, uh, I'm. I, I mean, I'll take away from that whatever I can. I guess. Um, yeah, you should have bought some Powerade yesterday. Yeah, drunk it this morning. I like at the. It's a lovely time to connect with the crush and make art. Like, well, the bit that I find a bit odd is where it says it brings me news from abroad. Well, we we know what's going on abroad. It's still it's still a <laughs> mess. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's depending on which direction you go. <laughs> uh, it's it's like rock and hard place. So, quite frankly, yeah. I'd rather stay indoors and sketch or paint. I think that sounds much nicer. Uh, Fair enough. So yeah, no, um, I I just I, I love I've always loved the idea of horoscopes. In a way, it's it's kind of the you know, uh, let's make it as 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 uh, v- vapid and you know um, ambiguous as we can, so that things can be applied to a large number of people who might read them and interpret them yeah. in a certain way. And I suppose you could say, well, it's harmless fun, isn't it? It's harmless. Mm. It's uh, just gives someone something to read, just to maybe lift their spirits. And you're probably right. I just wonder, in in 2020, who, who actually <laughs> looks to them for advice? You know, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge uh, your notion that that doesn't do any harm. I think, like a war on terror, we need a war on horoscopes. We need to crack down on this. It's 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 fake news, is what it is. It's it's misinformation, and it needs to stop. Oh, are you, are, you, are you suggesting that we uh, brand astrology as a terrorist organisation? <laughs> yeah, well, if Extinction Rebellion can be labelled a terrorist group, then I don't see why horoscope writers can't be as well. You know, That's I mean, what, 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 what's a horoscope writer ever done, you know, for us? You know, they haven't, they haven't, been, <laughs> they, they, they haven't built straight roads. That's for one thing. Well, no, they haven't done that. They haven't given us fresh water. They haven't uh, given us language and uh, numerical counting systems. Okay, so... Uh, they haven't delivered on their promises. Amazon can deliver the next day. When's, when's a horoscope actually, can deliver? Actually, I'll tell you this for, for, for nothing. They bloody well can't. Because <laughs> as, as a recent Prime member, they... I mean, okay, there's a pandemic, but I mean, how much, can you, how much milking of that can you make before my CDs get delivered the next day? I mean, it's just ridiculous. Well, there's your problem. You're still listening to CDs. Well, maybe. I mean, that, I don't know why I said CDs. I've never bought a CD on Amazon. <laughs> but you get the point. You get the point. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, cool. So those are Sorry, my... so what's your take? What's your take on horoscopes? Are you oh, write sorry. Some horoscopes? Uh, it was more a case of, you know, um, who really are horoscopes for in this day and age? And is it really... Just providing some light relief, especially in a time as we are at the moment where any kind of whimsical uh, escapism, no matter how um, 
empty it may be is, is always welcome? Or are people still literally rushing to read, you know, the next, the next monthly instalment in order to uh, steer their life towards whatever they want? I mean, that, that seems like quite a reasonable point. I feel bad for declaring war on horoscopes now. You I declare bastard. a truce, a ceasefire. You're, I rescind the declaration of war. You're an evil person. No, I'm not. I rescinded the declaration. That makes me a good guy. Trump I didn't mean, rescind his declaration. I don't think he even had Cassius Belli either. Sorry? Cassius Belli. Reasonable cause for justification you, of war. You call me a Cassio Bellend just because I like this watch. Hey, um, on that I note... I believe you would say that. On, on that, that note, note <laughs> those are my three prompts. Okay, um, I think I like the first one the most. Super Mash. Yeah, I connected with it the best. Yeah, the Super Mash, the kind of, yeah, mixing video games and writing, and the, yeah, they both work for me. Okay. Uh, thank you, Reese. Um I will uh, attempt to write something uh, that mashes all those things together. <laughs> I think they'll be quite good. Yeah. It'll be the Bodrum Badger of articles. Oh, Pinky and Perky, surely. No, that's... Well, no, because no, mashed potatoes. Oh, uh, it's true. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> Uh, I love how I've been making fun of like you and all your outdated references, and I bring in Bodger and Badger. I can't believe I said Pinky and Perky. I don't know if you used to watch that. That's my parents watched that. Yeah, I, I've seen some Pinky and Perky. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Friends, well, listen, thank you uh, uh, for giving us your uh, prompts. Obviously, I've given mine, and uh, we've now chosen the uh, uh, titles almost for, for each of this go away. away and, all and it has been mess. thrown down, the Kraken has been released. It has, it has. Uh, so, again, once more, we will go away and construct our pieces, our articles, uh, come back for the following episode and read them out for all to enjoy. Uh, thank you, Reese. Thank you, Dan. Once again, this has been episode three. Read them, one, two, three. Three of Prompt Night, brought to you by The Basic Pitches. I have been Dan. And I've been Reese. If you've enjoyed this episode, have an opinion to contribute, or just want to say hi, you can reach out to us on Twitter at DigitalGoyosa for Dan and at ReeseDS for me. I'm also on Instagram under the same name. You can read the articles read out today, along with previous articles and future articles, depending on when you listen to this, on our Medium page at medium.com slash prompt hyphen night. Dan, that's another episode in the bag. Uh, as always, it's been a pleasure, and I can't wait to hear read your article. Same to you. And uh, for everyone else, take care.